Let me say one further word before I come to the text, and that is uh, be praying for Brother Tim Mills tomorrow as he uh, has a follow-up appointment with his doctors to figure out what they are going to do in his circumstances. Um, There's something that's not quite right uh, in his abdomen area, and so we're praying for uh, the Lord's best in his life, and it's good to see Diane Lotz with us this morning, and she was struggling this week, but uh, you're here today, and so praise God for that. And Again, so many in our congregation as we grow and as we grow older, uh, God's grace meets us at every moment, and so we're grateful for His goodness. Well, today is our second shot at this amazing passage in Ephesians chapter 5, again, verses 22 to 33. And if, uh, listen, if you happen to have missed last Sunday with us here at Trinity, then I want to strongly encourage you. Uh, to go back and listen to the tape, uh, watch the, the live stream from last week, uh, which is on YouTube, on our church website. Uh, in many ways, today is really out of context for you if you have not first heard last week's message. Uh, but we hope that uh, it was a blessing to those of you who were here and uh, that it will be a challenge to those of you who were not But suffice it to say that the abridged version of last Sunday's message is simply this, that marriage, which is the union of one man and one woman for one lifetime ordained and established by God, is a magnificent mirror, reflecting the wonder of Christ's own amazing love for us, the church, Jesus' bride. It's what marriage is all about It's not about you, it's not about me, independent of Jesus and His love for the church. And that love of Christ as displayed in His perfect and purifying, profound, purposeful, and permanent love for us in the gospel. We said that human marriage is meant to be then a little living drama of how Christ and the church dance together. That's what marriage is meant to be, a picture of that awesome love. The ultimate meaning and significance of marriage, even every marriage, even those between unbelievers, whether they recognize it or not, is really all about Christ and His great love for the church. Everything else that Paul says in Ephesians 5, 22 to 23, is secondary or subservient to that preeminent point. That God ordained marriage at the beginning of creation to unveil the mystery of the gospel. Someone said to me this morning, and it was quite an encouragement, Pastor, I've never heard that text preached that way as you did last week. But that's the point from Paul. It's always my aim as your pastor to give you not my wisdom, but God's. So listen, having established this one great foundational fact or reality about marriage and the gospel now firmly in our minds, I think we need to circle back and perhaps pick up a few specific and very helpful points of gospel application, which Paul very beautifully marries together or joins together here in this wonderful reminder of Christ's own marvelous love for his church. So that in Ephesians 5, 22 to 33 this morning, there is a worthy word for wives. And there is a Christ-like call for husbands who together hope to live out the beauty and power of the gospel in their own homes 
and through their own marriages for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. If I could give you the key takeaway from today, the big idea from today's message, it is simply this, that spirit-filled marriages reflect the glory of the gospel when Christian husbands love their wives as Christ has loved us, the church, and when Christian wives submit and respect their own husbands as the church submits to the Lord Jesus Christ in everything. That's right out of the passage, folks. That is our key idea for the day. But like Gary Valinotto intimated, at least, I feel a little bit, if I'm being honest with you, like Pastor Chuck Swindoll, whose commentary on Ephesians I'm greatly indebted to, who said some sections of Scripture resemble minefields full of explosives rather than treasure chests full of truth. As you read through Ephesians chapters 5 and 6, you come across several topics that can easily ignite explosive responses, (laughs) close quote. And he's really not wrong. If you look at the text in front of you in Ephesians 5, Paul addresses wives and husbands. In chapter 6, verse 1, children and parents. And in chapter 6, verse 5, masters, maybe we would render that employers and bond slaves or employees. And Paul is addressing, as someone said already this morning, the horizontal realities of a vertical gospel that reconciles us, sinful men and women, to a holy God, but also it reconciles us to each other, and it changes the game of our relationships. That's what Paul is getting at here. A lesser-known author captured the tension that we feel in this text even more bluntly and directly when he said that the most hated verse in the entire Bible is Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, listen, whether this is actually the most hated verse in all the Bible, I suppose, is an open debate. I know of many others that people would like to excise from the text of Scripture. But the fact remains that for so many, if not for most people living today, the Bible's commands for husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church, and for wives to submit to and respect their own husbands, is both super hard to hear and nearly impossible to live up to. Why? Why does this passage club us so? Why? Let me give you two very simple reasons here at the beginning why I think this is the case. First, and perhaps a bit more obvious, I think a lot of people seem to react negatively to this passage because the very concept of submission has been greatly misused and abused. I call this the bad example objection to this passage. In other words, these folks are simply reacting against the distortion of the biblical's view or presentation of spirit-filled submission and not against the true likeness or true version or meaning of the passage. Let me state in no uncertain terms what submission does not mean. What submission does not mean. Number one, Listen, submission does not mean that men are superior to women. 
It does not mean that. That is an abuse or a misuse of this idea. Men greater than women, that is false. Anathema even. Submission is not a reflection of inferiority or of lesser worth or dignity. Both male and female were created in the image of God to reflect perfectly the image of God and then was marred in sin. Men are not superior to women in any way. There is dignity and equality in both maleness and femaleness. Biblical submission is not about is biblical submission is about godly order, not about God assigned value. The term has nothing at all to do with any suggestion that men are superior to women. Secondly, submission does not mean that men get to dominate their wives. It does not mean that. Look, simply because something is twisted or manipulated by mankind over and over and over again, it does not follow that the true version of that thing is discardable or optional. Ladies, I'll be honest with you. I get why you buck against submission when I see many men in their marriages. I get it. Headship, as we will see later on this morning, is about loving leadership in the home. Loving leadership in the home. But this God-ordained authority has suffered great and terrible abuse as a result of the harm that many women and children and others have experienced. Husbands, we are not kings in our homes, meant to be served and have our every whim fulfilled. Rather, we are to be servants in our homes. Dads, we are not dictators, barking orders at our children or our wives, but rather we are those who, who have bear a special responsibility to raise our children and to lead our wives into Christ-likeness. As Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, submission is God's command to wives to obey, not God's word to husbands to demand. You'll notice this is not husbands make your wives submit. It's wives submit to your own husbands. Thirdly, submission does not mean, and listen carefully, that all women have to submit to all men. Paul effectively here wanted first century Christian husbands who typically enjoyed a high, higher social status, more power, more uh, uh, greater economic and uh, societal stability to know that they were not to exploit, to abuse, or to harass, or even to ignore those of a lesser class, specifically women and children and slaves in that time. But instead, they were to follow Jesus' own loving example by serving and loving and cherishing and providing for their wives and their dependents in a dutiful way. The power of the gospel is this, that Christianity is subversive and it changes the social status quo. And so the way to really live humanly is to live according to the Bible. In the Greco-Roman world of Paul's day, sadly, just like it is today, there were plenty of deadbeat dads 
and heartless husbands who needed a rebuke. And so Paul rebuked them by the power of the gospel. Paul's, Paul's point here was to coach up Christian men to into Christ's likeness through their being filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit. But listen, conversely, on the other side, Paul wanted first century Christian wives there in Ephesus who themselves were immersed in a culture of temple worship and disrespect to their husbands, even this pro-feminism spirit that continues even till today, to know that they were to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord. Simply because they were free in Christ. They were not to be free any way they wanted to be. No, there is order in God's good creation. So Paul says, submit not just to any man, nor even to every man, but to submit to your own man as to the Lord. That's what Paul says. So you have the bad example objection. But I would also say, secondly, the reason why I think a lot of people find this passage uh, hard to swallow is because it actually takes the gospel, it takes gospel belief, it takes gospel conviction to submit ourselves to the authority and wisdom of the Bible. In other words, it requires new hearts to have holy homes. I call this the hard heart objection. If you don't have the Spirit of Christ in you and you are not living according to the wisdom of God's Word, aren't you naturally going to buck against this admonition? What do you mean I have to submit to that guy? Or I have to love that hard wife? What do you mean? I mean what God means. And it requires what God gives in order to live up to what God says. Remember the biblical context here, church, that everything that the Apostle Paul has said, beginning in chapter 5, verse 22, all the way to chapter 6, verse 9, these are what is called by many Bible teachers are the the house cult codes for Christianity. And it's connected back to verse 21 of Ephesians 5, which says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And remember, that verse was rooted back to verse 18, where Paul says, and he gives the primary passive command of this entire section to believers not to be drunk with wine, but rather, for that is debauchery, but rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's really all about who has control in your life. Are you controlled by external substances, or are you being controlled by the Spirit of the living God in your life and heart? And so therefore, in other words, the command for wifely submission or for husbandly or Christ-like love, listen to me, is uniquely, or I would say distinctly, for Christian marriages. I think it's good advice for non-Christian marriages, but this is a command for us as Christians in our marriages. Put another way, Genuine gospel conviction and transformation by grace through faith in Christ is a prerequisite for living out this good command of Almighty God. Let me just be honest. I am not saying that you can't have a good, even a successful marriage without being a Christian. I have seen many good marriages. In fact, I've seen many marriages of non-Christians that put many Christian marriages to shame. What I am saying is that it takes the power of a resurrected Christ to have a truly great and a truly godly marriage. And I think that's part of what Paul is saying here as well. 
So it's no wonder then that we get that look from friends or family when we talk or act this way, right? We are to stick out like strangers and aliens on this world according to 1 Peter chapter 2. God's word alone tells us the good, the life-giving, the soul-satisfying commands of God. Biblical submission, I would say, biblical love for one another is a blessing from God. It's not a burden of God. He gives us this command to lift us up, not to put us down. But it takes transformed eyes of faith and hearts that have been changed by grace to see and to act according to this countercultural message. And so if you are squirming right now, it might be that you are not in Christ. You might be flailing against the fact that Jesus is not the Lord of your heart. Without Jesus Christ commanding a man or a woman to love or respect his, uh, his spouse is like saying to a corpse, go climb that mountain over there. It's virtually impossible. It doesn't register, it can't be done. Because we all need Christ. The, the late, great Pastor R.C. Sproul perhaps said it best. He said, God's call for husbands to love their wives and for wives to respect their husbands is not an exhortation to naivete, to put up with impenitent abusers, or to pretend that no marital problems will ever arise between two sinners who by the Lord's grace endeavor to fulfill his will for marriage. Instead, it is a call for two people to set aside their own preferences in the interest of living before the face of God in such a way that shows the world why the Christ-Church bond is the most beautiful relationship in all creation. And it is a call for churches to do everything in their power to teach us how to fulfill our respective marital roles as well as to intervene when gross violations of the marriage covenant occur among us. Close quote. This is a message that millions of people in the church and countless others outside in our culture desperately need to hear. And I pray we all have the grace to hear it today. So first, ladies first, okay? How about that? Ladies first. (laughs) A word to Christian wives summed up in two words. Maybe it's four. Biblical submission and respect. The Greek philosopher Socrates said, by all means, marry. If you get a good wife, you'll become happy. If you get a bad one, you'll become a philosopher. A philosopher said that. Put two and two together. We've all heard the expression, happy wife, happy uh, ladies. Okay, the ladies were the ones that would fill that one in. Happy wife, happy life. We've all heard that a hundred times. But listen, here in the Bible, Ephesians 5, it actually lays out for us the blueprint for marital success and happiness. It's called holiness. The apostle expresses it quite succinctly in just a few brief words. He says, wives, submit to and respect your own husbands on account of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And husbands, love and care for your wives just as Christ has cared for you. This, friends, is God's great game plan for great and successful marriages. And you can like it (laughs) or lump it, but you need to listen to it. And I dare you to try it and to lean into it and watch God transform your home 
because he will. The Greek word here for submit, as you can see on the screen, is hupatasso. It's a fun little word to say. It's a compound word that really literally means to place or to rank under. To place or to rank under. We borrow it from a military context in the ancient world. It's a word that is used some 40 times in the New Testament. It's also rendered be subject. That's a fun one. Be subject. We all like to be subject, don't we? Uh, Be subject to others. There's the parallel of Ephesians 5.22 found in Colossians 3.18 where Paul says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Peter, in 1 Peter 3 verses 1 and 2 says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And then finally, in Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, Paul says to Titus, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Ephesians 5.22 in the, uh, Paul's employment of the word hupatasso uh, or submit is not an isolated one-off. It happens over and over and over again in the New Testament. As many other teachers have noted, though, the word is actually in the middle voice in the Greek language, which means for us as English speakers that you are not made to submit here, you willingly submit yourselves. The middle voice implies that the one or the object of the verb is to do the action. So you are to submit yourself to the authority over you. The point here is that submission is a willing, a voluntary act of submission on the part of wives, not a coerced, self-serving dictate on the part of husbands. Guys, it doesn't work that way. Having your wife respond well to you when you bark and demand at her is not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Someone called this a voluntary yielding in love by the working of the Spirit. Let me give you a definition, ladies, of what biblical submission is. The Bible's vision of wifely submission is that of a divine calling from God upon a woman to honor and affirm her own husband's leadership and to help him carry it through according to her own God-given gifting and ability up there on the screen. It's a divine calling of God to honor and affirm your husband's leadership and to help him execute it, to carry it out, to be that gift of Eve to Adam, that helpmate, because it was not good for him to be alone in the world. And to do that in your own unique design. Not every wife looks the same or acts the same or does this role the same. And that's okay. If a particular wife's husband is not tender or especially attentive, or if he is not exercising his own spiritual authority or responsibility in the home, then a woman's submissive actions can actually work to be used by God to help call him up and wake him up to Christ-like leadership. That's what the point of 1 Peter 3 was. 
So true biblical submission, uh, one writer said, sweetens the home. It sweetens the home with the aroma of godly obedience and grace. It's the fragrance of godly submission and respect in a home that others, when they come in, they say, man, it's nice in here. There's a different aura. There's a different smell in this place because they see the Bible at work in a marriage. Pastor Ray Ortland, I've quoted him many times before, he very helpfully explains, he says, for a wife in particular, God calls her to live out this Christian mentality of submission toward her husband as toward no other. Her submission is not a servile groveling because she submits to her husband as the church submits to Christ. Is that how we submit to Jesus? Are we begging for bread from the table of Christ? No, he freely gives it to us. Mutual respect, that's dignifying to us all, he says. Her submission is of the same high quality as the spirit of every faithful Christian. It's not a dirty word. It's a word that's meant to lift us up. He goes on to say, the opposite of a submissive spirit is an unsatisfiable demandingness, a fault-finding resistance, a tiresome fretfulness, and here he quotes one of our favorite Proverbs, Proverbs 27, 15, a continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. How's that for a picture? He says, no man gets married in order to live under a leaky roof, so to speak, of a nagging wife or a scolding wife. Life at home should never be made into a dripping water torture. A man's home, the place of refuge, must not be yet more of the same, more of the storm he must cope with at work every day. But a wise Christian wife with a gentle and quiet spirit refreshes her husband's soul and spirit to face the challenge of life again the next day with new determination and with godly confidence. Wives, your submissive spirit is a blessing and a gift of refreshment to your husband's. So listen, I think we can sum up Paul's exhortation to Christian wives in four simple statements before we come to men. Number one, submission as a biblical concept is a voluntary, self-imposed spirit of support under the authority of another. It has been described as a happy response to truly holy leadership. But secondly... Notice that wives are to be in submission to their own husbands, specifically not to all men in general, to their own husbands. In the Greek, there's this little uh, preposition, idios, which is the word, your own husband. So it's not, it's not just any old man, that, that's a misuse, that's an abuse in our, in our common day, in the workplace you know, men have this macho uh, barking uh, demeanor. No, that's not what this is getting at. It is to your own husband in God's design. Thirdly, the reason Paul gives is that the husband is the head of the wife, even in this analogy as Christ is the head of the church. That comes right out of verse 23. There's a basis in God's order and design for biblical submission in the home. This headship, as we will see again in just a few moments, gives or places to husbands a special burden of responsibility and authority, accountable before God to love and care for his own wife and children before God. 
ladies, if you clamor for that authority, be careful what you clamor for. Because we will be judged as men before God, in large part based upon how we love and lead our homes. And then fourth and final here, wives are to submit to their own husbands in everything as the church submits to the Lord. I puzzled over that little phrase, does it really, do I have to really say that? Wives, submit to your husbands in everything. But rather than giving permission to Christian husbands to dominate or to take advantage of or to lead their wives into grievous sin in some way. This means, as one author put it, that there is no area of her life that a wife cordons off from her husband and says, there's no access here. There's, it's off limits to you. You can't do that. You shouldn't do that. You don't want to do that because the, the Lord has put your husband in your life to protect you, and to serve you. Be it spiritual, be it physical, be it emotional, be it material concerns, God's rules for marriage mean that Christian husbands bear a huge and holy responsibility to direct the affairs of their home in a way that elevates their wives and children and exalts the Lord Jesus Christ at all times. And the moment... Friend, the moment that you are putting down your wife, you are putting down the Lord Jesus Christ. The moment that you are leading your wife or children into sin, you are defaming the name of Jesus Christ. This means that Christian wives are to happily honor and support their husbands for better or for worse, through thick and through thin, all along the way. Ladies, those of you that are married this morning. Rhetorical question here. <laughs> How are you doing with submitting to and respecting your husbands? Are you living in such a way that honors the Lord Jesus Christ? Guys, buckle up. You're next. A word to Christian husbands summarized really under two ideas. Christ-like love and responsibility. Love and responsibility coupled with submission and respect. Listen to me. On the other hand of the equation, as countercultural as God's command here today for wives to submit to their husbands sounds, because it really does sound quite countercultural today, listen to me. The other half of the equation, that is God's gracious call to husbands to love and to cherish their own wives as Christ loved and cherished the church, was perhaps even more countercultural in Paul's own day. In any ancient text, you will not find somebody admonishing men to love their wives in this way. This was a truly radical idea. Not Paul's, God's, but through Paul. Wives, respect your own husbands. Husbands, take loving accountability. Take loving respect for your wives. Brothers, let me say this to you. Love and tenderness to your wife breathes life into her. Love and tenderness and attentiveness and gentleness, it breathes life into her. And ladies, listen to me. A lot of men, like me, are wired to be uh, words of affirmation kind of guys. And that means that showing respect 
and giving honor breathes fresh life into us. A word of criticism cuts deeply for men. A word of encouragement builds us up and will run through a wall for you. You know, most people are quite familiar with the name Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I talk about him quite a bit here in this pulpit, uh, particularly his keen theological mind and his eloquent speaking and preaching ministry. But few remember that one of Spurgeon's passions included his devotion to his own wife, Susanna, or as he called her, Susie, of 36 years. Just months before they were married, Charles Spurgeon wrote to Susie these words, How I love you. I long to see you, and yet it has been but half an hour since I left you. Comfort yourself in my presence by the thought that my heart is with you. My own gracious God bless you in all things, in heart, in feeling, in life, in death, in heaven. May your virtues be perfected. May your prospects realized. Your zeal continued. Your lo- Guys, you need to write this down. Your love increased. And your knowledge of him rendered deeper and higher and broader. In fact, may more than ever my heart can wish may, or my hope anticipate be yours forever and ever. May, mutual, may we be mutual blessings wherein I shall err, you will pardon. Wherein you may mistake, I will more than overlook. Guys, does this make you want to hate him a little bit? <laughs> what a show off Spurgeon was. Now, some of us may be tempted to just chalk this up to puppy love or that early infatuation between Charles and Susie, but you'd be wrong. For some 15 years now into their marriage in 1871, Spurgeon wrote these words to his wife, Susie, who eventually compiled many of Spurgeon's letters to her in her own autobiography, which is how we know this. Charles Spurgeon wrote, Now weathered by ministry... And weathered by life, he says, no one knows how grateful to God I am for you. In all I have ever done for the Lord, you have a large share. For in making me so happy, you have lifted, you have fitted me for service. Not an ounce of power has ever been lost to the good cause through you. In other words, you have not been a pain in my neck. I have served the Lord far more and never less for your sweet companionship. If I might take a personal point of privilege, I could say that very same thing for my wife, Laurie. I have served the Lord far more because of you. And never less. Ladies, would you find it hard to submit to a man who prized and loved you like that? I doubt that you would. I want you to notice in the passage with me that Paul evidently has much to say to men. In fact, perhaps more even to say to men than he does to wives. In just four out of these 12 verses in our passage, Paul addressed Christian wives. But in nine out of 12 verses, Paul addresses Christian husbands. And love, or agapao, is the key lesson or the key theme for Christ-dependent, Christ-exalting spiritual leadership in the home. 
A few moments ago, we defined submission for the ladies, for those that are married, as the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her own husband's leadership in such a way as to help him carry forward or carry out his burden of responsibility as the spiritual authority in the home through her gifts. But now I define biblical headship for those of us who are Christian husbands as the following It is the divine calling of God upon Christian men to take the primary responsibility for Christ-like leadership and protection and provision for your wife and for your children. Men, that is our charge. Now, Paul notes elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, he says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every wife is her husband, And the head of Christ is God. That is a particularly perplexing verse, but it's getting at the idea of authority. Pastor Tony Evans, for a little comical relief, humorously quipped that spiritual headship is God telling the woman to duck so that he can punch the man. Maybe that's a bit harsh, but I think it gets at the point. The key thought here for Paul is that Christian husbands are to take the initiative. Christian husbands are to take into consideration with sensitivity. Christian husbands are to take responsibility for the spiritual, emotional, physical, and financial well-being of their entire household. It is not all on you. But men, we got to step up to what is our responsibility. And how do we do this? Well, Paul lifts up the pattern of Jesus himself. Paul himself is the writer of Philippians, who says, and he says in Philippians 2, verses 3 and following, Do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's tough advice. Have this mind among yourselves. How do we do this? Which is yours in Christ Jesus. You do it by Submitting to Jesus, by letting him take over, by letting Jesus reign. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Men, it is a high calling that's beyond us all by ourselves. But it is a wonderful calling that is possible for us when we let Jesus take over. Husbands, your headship is not about you being the boss. It is not about you being the brains of the outfit. My wife is so much smarter than me that it is not even funny. I mean, I'm I'm dead serious. It is ridiculous how much smarter she is than I am. I am reminded of it on a daily basis. Not by her. Come on. Come on. Come on. Forgiveness is next week's message. (laughs) Spiritual headship, guys, is not a license to do whatever you want to do 
Instead, it is a divine authority and spirit-enabled empowerment to be responsible for what God has given you to do for His glory and for the good of others. Ray Ortland again adds that the heart of a Christian husband comes to a focal point in the one word, the key word for the husband. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. The responsibility of leadership given by God to me and my home isn't given to puff me up, to make my head any bigger than it already is, but rather it is given to build my family up and to build the name of Jesus up. Emotionally and intellectually and physically and financially and ultimately spiritually and relationally, a godly husband seeks to build Christ's likeness, confidence, and compassion in the hearts and lives of his wife and children. But men, you cannot pour out what you are not being filled up with. Which is why Paul starts this whole train with be filled with the Holy Spirit and not be drunk with wine. C.S. Lewis nails us here. He says, God has crowned man in the relationship of marriage. Hold on. Bestowing, or should I say inflicting a certain headship on him. This is a very different coronation. The husband is the head of the wife just insofar as he is to her what Christ is to the church. He is to love her as Christ loved the church. Read on and give his life for her. This headship then is most fully embodied, not in the husband we should all wish to be, but in him whose marriage is most like a crucifixion whose wife receive most, receives most while, and who gives least. The sternest feminist need not grudge my sex the crown offered to it, for it is a crown of thorns. Close quote. Well, just as we summarized biblical submission in four parts for wives, let me quickly, as we come to a close, summarize uh, Christian or biblical headship for men under four similar statements. Number one, headship is about responsibility. The responsibility of Christian men to take loving leadership and care for their families and make that a priority in their home. Guys, our wives and our children, the good of our home ought to be on our mind all the time. It is not a weapon for us to wield. Rather, it is a responsibility for us to bear before God. Secondly, husbands are commanded to love their wives by giving, not by demanding. Love your wives by giving, not by demanding. As the scripture says in Colossians 3, 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Do not be harsh toward them. Again, a woman's submission is a happy response to holy and loving leadership. Third, a Christian husband carries out his God-assigned authority and responsibility over his home specifically by nourishing and cherishing his wife. Nourishing and cherishing his wife. Then let me ask you, is your leadership modeled after the loving example of Jesus who loved by cherishing and nourishing his church. That is, are you praying with your wife on a regular basis? Are you leading your family in times of Bible study and reading? 
Are you faithful in church attendance and giving and serving, even as you encourage and bring along your wife and children who are at home to do the same? Are you protecting? Are you providing your family with strength that God supplies to the best of your abilities? And are you emotionally and physically engaged at home with your wife and with your children? All of these are ways in which we live out nourishing and cherishing commandments. And the truth of the matter is we all fail at this. Fourth and finally, a loving Christian husband understands that while Christ alone saves, Christ alone sanctifies, Christ alone secures his own salvation, the salvation of his wife and his children, he likewise, though, bears a responsibility to promote godliness. Every man ought to be a little priest in his home who prays and serves and teaches the word of God to his family. As verse 27 says, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Brothers, we will give an account for our homes. Listen, for Paul, the practical demonstration of the gospel in our marriage comes down to two beautiful gifts exchanged day after day between men and women, husbands and wives, and these are the gifts, love and respect, submission, and responsibility. These are the gifts that we exchange as husbands and wives all throughout marriage. Every Christian husband who grasps the gospel will love his wife as himself. And every Christian wife who grasps the gospel will respect her husband as her head. His love for her and her respect for him will powerfully display Christ's love for us. Church, let me encourage every couple to find maybe 30 minutes today or someday soon, husbands and wives to sit down and pray and talk and reflect on these last two messages about your own marriage and home. Don't just listen and move on. Listen and evaluate. Listen and consider. Listen and apply God's truth to your home and let God's truth transform your home. And as you do, and we've done this and continue to do this in our home, you will see need. You will see brokenness. There will be tears. Your pastor, your elders will be here for you. We want to talk to you. We want to help you. We want to pray with you. For those who feel like your marriage is broken, for those of you who feel like you are a failure as a wife or as a husband, listen to me this morning. God is the God of grace and the God of new beginnings. He wants to restore, to refresh, and to wow you in your marriage. He wants to do that. But you got to say, God, I'm ready for that. There's a part for you to play. There's a role for you to have. God offers hope and freedom and joy, but in Jesus and on his terms. And again, we as a church, and particularly the elders of your church, stand ready and willing to help and pray and counsel you as you need it. Let's bow in prayer.
Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for the sword of the Spirit, which is your word. And, O oh Lord, I feel my own heart and life has been pricked and pruned with just heaven, heavenly precision. But I am better for it. So, Father, I pray that you, will, you would take your truth and you would press it into our hearts and lives. And that we would be a church that increasingly experiences the fullness of the Holy Spirit as expressed through households committed to loving Jesus and letting Jesus live through them. So, Father, we thank you, we praise you for all that you've done in our hearts and lives. And we ask your Holy Spirit to lead us into obedience. For we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.